John 16, 12 through 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that, be- all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Thanks, Amanda. We have been talking for the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit. Hello, by the way. I just like getting into it while I'm like walking up on the stage. Good morning. Nice to see you all. Take a minute to say hello before I just do a chit-chat. Um, I'm going to turn this around. But we've been talking together as a community about the Holy Spirit. And Johnny said every week that we come from different traditions and experiences and knowledge and theological frameworks about the Holy Spirit. And given that we're talking about God, we need to um, hold all of it with a sense of humility, what we know and what we feel and what we understand. We hold it all with humility. And we approach each other with a sense of curiosity, creating space for what other people have had an understanding of who Spirit is and how Spirit shows up. And and part of that is because we're a community of learners. The word disciple actually means learner. And so the disciples themselves, when we look at the text, were learning along the way. And that's who we are too. We're a community of learners. And so as we attune to this, I just would like us all to kind of take that posture. Like what does it what does it mean this morning that we would come as a community of learners just as we attune to what John is saying in chapter 16 and then as we approach each other and in further conversations about God, about spirit, about who we are and about how we engage with life. So let's pray and then we'll look at John 16 together. Jesus, you call us um, into a particular kind of way, a way that you began, a way that you modeled a way that you empower us by your spirit to live and in doing so we fumble about and we aren't always necessarily clear or sure and I don't know what people have come in with today whether it's doubt or uncertainty or relief but I pray spirit that you would uh, make us aware of you of your presence of who you are make us aware of each other And that at the end of the day, after today, we would be more rooted in what that song says is true of you, your name. We would be more rooted and grounded in you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus has announced his departure, and the disciples are not too happy about it. They don't feel stoked to learn that Jesus is saying that he's departing, they actually feel sad about it. And so he tells them that he's not going to leave them alone, but that instead spirit would speak as his continuing voice after Jesus leaves. Spirit would be that continuing voice. It says that in John 16, 7. 
And Jesus says that spirit will be a companion, will be an advocate, will be a nurturer, and will mediate presence. Presence of God, presence of Jesus. And the point of Jesus communicating all of these things is to be reassuring to these learners, to these followers, to the disciples, to bring comfort and reassurance. That the foundational truths that they had come to see in Jesus, the Spirit would apply to them in new situations, new experiences, new lives lived in their everyday. And at one point, chapter 14 of John's Gospel, Jesus says that it's going to be even better when he goes away because greater works than what Jesus has done will come through these folks, these learners. And he says that not only do those works come through the current disciples themselves, but also through those who hear what they say kind of through history from them, which is us that greater works that we would do by the power of the Spirit than Jesus. That's kind of a something, right? Kind of unfathomable, but it's there in the text in John. And so it begs a few questions that we would be wise to look into. Um, If Jesus is telling us that Spirit is guiding us and companioning us and nurturing us and coming alongside us, Like Johnny said last week, where is spirit guiding us? What is spirit guiding us into? And then how do we listen or discern spirit? And then what kind of voice will we be listening to? What will that voice be revealing? Like those are all important questions for us to be mindful of. And it was the questions, I imagine, too, that we see that some of the disciples had. And so Jesus, in this chapter, clarifies for them some of these questions. John chapter 16, 12 to 15, what Amanda just loved. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Super clear, right? That's what we're going to look at today. And I want to hone in on the word glorify here. Because this entire section, as Jesus is speaking about spirit, is riddled with that word. It's like sprinkled all throughout. Jesus continually uses the word glory, glorify, glory, 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 glory. It's over and over and over again. And it's not a common word that we use, you know, when you're in Smiths. The teller isn't like, glory, glory to you. Like, no, we don't use that word. But it is a very common biblical word. It's used all throughout the biblical narrative. And so that's why I want to highlight it, because it's common in the Bible, and it's very, very, very common in this section as Jesus is speaking about the Spirit. 
Dr. Um, Shola Akala is a biblical scholar, and she particularly focuses on the book of John and the, and the word glory. And when asked to give a definition of glory and how it functions in the biblical context, this is what she says. God's glory is God's visible or tangible manifestation. She goes on to say it's the manifestation of God's name, power, beauty, judgment, love, and so on. And she also says that the word glory is always accompanied by verbs of seeing. So glory is God made visible. That's what the biblical text communicates. Glory is God visible. And so at the beginning of the book of John, there's this prologue, and we're introduced to Jesus, and the title of Jesus' is word, Logos, which like there's an expression here. Word is to express something, and Jesus is, we're introduced to Jesus, the one who dwells among us, tabernacles with us, and it says we beheld a seeing word, and beheld has the connotation of like a long look at. We got a long look at Jesus. And what did we see in that long look? We beheld glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then just a couple verses later, no one has ever seen God. But... The one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father. The word here is like, who is at the heart of Father, or another word there is the bosom. Like, is the close relationship. This one who is revealing, it says, has explained him or revealed him. And the word explained is the word exegete, which means interprets the Father. Jesus makes God visible, interprets, explains God. And the thing about Jesus all the way through John's gospel is that Jesus never talks about himself outside of relationship with the Father. Never. All the way through the gospel, John communicates that Jesus and everything that Jesus does is connected to the Father. Here is a a relational consciousness. And relational consciousness is really powerful. There's a quote I want to read here by David Ford, and it says, Those we love and know well indwell us, and we them. There's a power to this kind of presence. The presence of others in our lives, whether that's warmth and kindness or hostility and aggression, has the power to shape. We are shaped by those who love us. We are shaped by those who hate us. We are shaped by those who are indifferent to us. Relational reality and relational conscience is powerful. It shapes our very being. 
we have the power to shape other people through how we relate to them. Individuals, communities, and even kind of the wider earth, plants and animals and air, is shaped by warmth, by hostility, or by indifference. And so Jesus is communicating something very fundamentally important here. And when Jesus reveals his own relational consciousness, consciousness, this self-identity, what Jesus consistently reveals is there is no reality where Jesus is not relationally aware of the Father's securing and abiding love. And where the Father is not aware of Jesus' securing and abiding love. That is the transaction and the movement of their relational love towards one another. And they are never unaware of that abiding and securing love. Their home. There's a homeness, belonging. And in that place comes security. That's what is consistently communicated. So then when Philip says, in this moment when Jesus is going to the Father, you know, last week, the face palm meme that Johnny showed, Philip is like, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you, don't you know the kind of relational consciousness that I have? Conscience? Jesus is saying, the love that I know and that is in me has been seen by you, Philip. Which means you've seen the Father. Glory. Jesus doesn't see himself outside of that relatedness. And that relatedness has been worked out in his everyday life become visible, tangible glory. He says that you might not believe based on my words, Philip, but at least believe the works that I have been doing and what they say about me. And Philip has three years of memories with Jesus. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. And Jesus reiterates this again. He's speaking to Philip, and then he reiterates this again when he prays. And he says in his prayer, I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And Dr. Akala talks about how the entire life of Jesus was a manifestation of divine glory, making visible and tangible and touchable mercy and judgment and beauty and playfulness, making visible the characteristics, the name of God. And what that had looked like was water to wine, helping people at a wedding celebrate. What a good thing to do. 
raise a glass. It's a manifestation of present in celebration. It had looked like leprosy and disease and Jesus reaching to touch those who had been untouched and unreached to due to religious and social norms. Jesus moved towards the outsider. It's a manifestation. It's glory. Jesus talked to women and ethnic minorities with dignity and respect. It's a manifestation. Jesus grieved with the brokenhearted. Jesus softened the powerful to give back money that they'd exploited. Happens in a tree. Kind of love that. Happens over bread and fish and breakfast. With wind and boats. That's the context, the, the kind of work in the everyday life of sacrificial love. It's a manifestation, it's glory. And that happens in the context of everyday life. That is the where and how of glory. Presence. There is a materiality to it. It's not abstract. And it's expressed in many places and spaces. And they're all memories that Philip holds. Bread and wine and music and walking are the ways that they have come to know mercy and beauty and truth and judgment and love. And so as Jesus continues his prayer, Jesus names that this is how that will continue to happen. That this is the fabric through which glory will be expressed materially and in an everyday life. And he, and he expresses it so vividly and viscerally through the prayer that yes, it's going to happen in the lives of the disciples, Philip, that he's right in connection with, but it's going to happen beyond Philip. And so that means it will happen here in Salt Lake City with us. Jesus says, I do not pray only for them. I pray also for everyone who believes in me because of their message. May they be in us. I've given them what? Say it. I've given them glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. He just says these little tiny sentence and they're just all packed full. I do not pray only for them, Philip, James, Peter, Judas. I pray also for everyone who will believe in me because of their message. May they be in us. May they be enfolded into that relational consciousness. 
I've given them glory. The ability to make real who I am. So that they may be one as we are one. Connected, held, at home. In us, with one another. And when they are, everyone will know that you have loved them as you have loved me. I'm going to read this quote. The divine relationality, that identity, that relational consciousness that is so powerful, means that unity is more fundamentally a gift than a task. It is to be received from God, entered into as a reality already and always happening in God. To take the spatial imagery in us seriously means that there is a family, a home, where we are fully welcome. A place to live in intimacy with the Father and Son. Somewhere to abide permanently in mutual honoring, belonging, and love. The basic task is to trust the gift and its giver. It is this that Spirit speaks to us over and over and over over again. The Spirit works to make us relationally conscious. Conscious of God, conscious of each other, and conscious of the rest of creation. Because in the beginning was the Word and all things came into being through that Word. And Spirit seeks to incorporate us in, into that place of full welcome. So that we can abide in that honoring, belonging, and love. That's what we receive consistently from the Spirit. We receive it, we receive it, and it's what we then give out. And the basic task is to trust the gift and the giver. To be fair, I do not think that is a basic task. Seems quite complicated. Thank you, David Ford. I do not agree with you. I was talking to a friend last night. I've known her 37 years. So we get into it real fast. And um, the story that she was telling herself, I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. It wasn't a kind story. And so I just like mirrored back to her the thing that I was hearing. And I was like, I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's the story of you. And I told her why. And she's like, that's fair. And I need some space to think about it. And I was like, yeah. So I just want to give you some space for just a couple of seconds to listen to where you are at with the trust of that gift. 
that you are fully welcomed. Knowing that you have a place of honor and belonging and love. And I'm not saying that Spirit doesn't ask us to take responsibility for harms done. Johnny is going to talk about that next week, the notion of sin and conviction. But Spirit always brings us back here to the place where we understand and know that we are fully welcome. Knowing that we have a place, honor, belonging, Respect, love. And so I just want you to sit with where you are in trusting that gift this morning. Maybe you feel resistance to it. Maybe you feel gratitude. Maybe there's some doubt, some uncertainty, some fear, or maybe some relief. There is no wrong answer. Just identify where you are in relation to that gift. Dr. Akal goes on to redefine glory. She says, John redefines glory by who Jesus is, particularly in the context of the inseparable relationship with the Father, mutually glorifying in love. Jesus then beckons his followers to continue the story of God's glory. I love that redefinition of glory. I love it because often when we talk about the Spirit and we talk about God, it can get dislocated from reality, from the everyday. The glory and God and presence maybe belong in like specific places like church and in clerics like me or the Bible. And God is there, but God is not limited to there in those spaces. There's no hierarchies of God's voice and visibility. There's an attunement and attention where God says, you you will find me there, but there are no hierarchies of God's voice and visibility and spiritually actually disrupts and dismantles and spreads presence 
At Pentecost, like all the languages are suddenly spoken. People somehow uh, who were unaware of presence are now very aware of presence. Un, like unparticular people that you wouldn't expect to be like mediating presence are now mediating presence. And it fills people with wonder. And in those New Testament stories, we see that the Spirit is active in their lives in these new situations, and they're seeking and working it out in the moment, learning together, fumbling together, paying attention and participating, and it's complicated. And we see those stories, and we recognize that this prayer means that Jesus prays that we too, like them, would learn the way of the Spirit. And so like them, it very likely will look like that. And it's how we continue the stories, trusting that the Spirit is active in our lives, helping us in this moment as we're learning and fumbling about together. And then our job is to participate and pay attention. Which is why I've literally loved doing the podcast. I think that I could sit down with each one of you and the thing I would walk away is that your everyday lives are full of glory. I just have sat with a few people and I'm just like, yeah, there it is. That's where presence is showing up. Glory, it's making presence real and seeing presence in all kind of contexts. That's the point of the podcast. And so then how do we listen and discern? What kind of voice will we be listening to if God's promise that glory is going to be in your everyday lives? In the context of wine and bread and walking and computers and conversations and teaching and dancing? What kind of voice will we be listening to and what will that voice be revealing? Like Johnny said last week, the Spirit is a companion, nurturing and advocating. Might be a bit of a stretch, but how many of you seen Ted Lasso? Yes! We're all excited about Ted! And if you... Say what? Yes, thank you for the quote. And if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, he's a coach for a sports team. And maybe some of us are divided about this season, but the principles have been the same. But Ted's a coach that helps you believe. Helps you believe that you can work together. Helps you believe that you can honor one another. Helps you believe that you can support each other. Helps you believe that you can welcome each other back after failure. Helps you believe that you're in there with the wins and the losses. 
helps you to believe that you say no to harmful behaviors in hopes of healing. Not in hopes of criticism or condemnation, but in hopes of healing. And I loved it at the end. Sorry, a little spoiler. So it's enough past the last one that you've probably all seen it. But I love at the end when the son misses his goal and he runs over all disappointed, you know? And the coach literally says, it's okay, buddy. Get back in and try again. It's not about perfection or punishment or criticism. That's not what it's like to be with that coach. The Spirit is a companion. Nurturing, advocating, coaching. And so, we understand when we hear a story in our own head that is critical, that is harsh, that is cruel, or that is uncaring or accusing, that is not the voice of the coach. That is not the voice of spirit. And when we have that voice in our head towards others, that is not the voice of spirit. When the story that we tell about ourselves or others is cruel, is condescending, is full of contempt, we can be sure that is not spirit. That's not the coach. So when we hear that, it's time to stop. It's time to find our way home. Because where the Spirit is taking us is to secure our identity. And to secure the identity of others. And in fact, to secure the rest of creation. And so even when we are harsh towards the world in which we live, the environment, to animals, this is not spirit. So spirit is taking us to that place of security. Ourselves and others and the rest of creation. And so as we end today, there's just two things that I want you to think about. Today, I want you to root yourself as far as trust will allow you in the love of God. Because relational consciousness is powerful. That's why we talk so much about the love of God here. All the time. Because we cannot give out of what we do not have. We cannot give a sense of security, belovedness, if we do not have hold of it. And rooting is a matter of resting and abiding and believing. The basic task, you know? And so today, I just want you to root yourself as far as trust will allow you 
And it's okay, whatever distance trust will take you today. I want you to root yourself in the love of God. You are fully welcomed. You belong. There's a place for you. Feel it. As far as trust will allow you. And if you need help to grow in trust with people to pray or talk to a friend, have a mirror back. But as far as trust will allow you today, root yourself in the love of God. And then, second thing, open your eyes to wonder. Wonder of glory. And where the Spirit might be revealing or interpreting or explaining God. Could be in a conversation that you have or in your garden. Could be in community somewhere or through a child. Maybe a safer place for you would be to start reading the Sermon on the Mount. That gives a good framework for how you might look out to see glory, presence. Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Open your eyes to the wonder of glory and where spirit might be revealing God. Explaining God. The Spirit is always bringing us into ourselves and to each other and to the rest of creation. So, what does the voice sound like? Kind, coach, nurturing, advocating. And Jesus says that that's good news for us, that we have such a companion. And that because we have that companion, glory will be embodied through us. So look out for it. Let's pray. Spirit, help us to hear you. Help us to have the kind of consciousness that Jesus had of his own belovedness and the belovedness that he gave back. That the dance they had was a dance of mutual belonging and love. Help us to participate in the dance that you've invited us into. And to be fully aware when we are maybe out of step. Whether that's out of step in our own bodies or whether it's out of step in how we're engaging with other bodies or whether it's out of step in how we see the world around us. So Spirit, awaken us us, and reveal to us what is true of you. What is true of us and help us to live out of that place. And help us to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.